Today's episode is with my dad, David Liel. Really happy we had the chance to sit down and talk about just his life growing up, becoming a fireman, the loss of his brother, his relationship with my mom, animal rights issues, love, becoming a parent, and other topics. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. And just a reminder, I have a Discord link in the show notes if anybody wants to send me a message there and we can kind of get a community going. I appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Dad. Hello. Father, thank you for joining me on this episode of my podcast. Nice to be here. Cool. So I guess really what I want to talk about is uh, get to know more of your perspective on things, um, about life, about death. Um and kind of understand where you're coming from a bit more and where you've where you've accumulated, you know, the, the mindset that, that you have and and how you've related it to your life thus far. So um why don't you kind of take us back to where you where you grew up, how you viewed your childhood and um kind of a little bit of a backstory behind yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. This is kind of cool. A little bit different. But uh, just to start from the beginning, you know, I, uh, it's, I was born and raised in Southern California in L.A. County and uh, had two very loving parents. Um, born, you know, born in 1960, so I'm 62 years old today. Or as of today, I should say. Yeah, it's not your birthday. Don't uh, <laughs> don't try to get sympathy points. No, yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, so I had two loving parents and uh, I went to school in the hometown area. Then I went to high school out of the area. I went to a private high school in Los Angeles, went to Loyola High School where I graduated. Um, and I from there I went to uh wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I went to a community college, went to Rio Hondo. I thought in the beginning I wanted to be an airline pilot. That uh, that dream didn't pan out as much as I wanted it to. But I was working towards that during the time. I was, went to uh, Mount Sac out there and because they had a great uh, pilot program and uh, aeronautical program. And so I started out doing that. And when I found out that wasn't going to come, come through, I ended up uh, going on my second choice, and that was becoming a firefighter. And that's what I pursued back in the early '80s, and uh, and that's what I uh, ended up doing. Yeah, I I know you've you've talked about the story of you trying to become a pilot before, and then not panning out. What 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 is it exactly that made you um, kind of switch careers? Yeah, well, it ended up being uh, during that time that if you wanted to be an airline pilot. Um, you needed to have a lot of flight hours. And the only way you're going to get those kind of flight hours is to go into the military. And becoming and getting into the pilot program was going to be a very long shot. And I knew that my chances of probably becoming a pilot uh, wasn't going to be that great if I had to join the military because the chances of me getting into the aeronautical program or the pilot program wasn't going to be that good. So as a result, I ended up going to my second choice. But during that time, when I was trying to get into uh, becoming a pilot, I volunteered um, for uh, 
at the local airport, just a regional airport, Almani Airport at that time, um, with a group of uh, other pilots that went out and uh, helped do search and rescue. And I wanted to be a part of that. I just wanted to be around the airplanes. I just wanted to be around the airport. I wanted to be around pilots. And these guys flew, and they helped the police. They helped fire. They helped with rescue missions. And uh, so I became a part of that, thinking that I was going to – and I was taking private uh, lessons as well, uh, learning how to be a pilot. And uh, I remember one day I was at this, a meeting with these guys, and they were asking me what did I – you know, what is it that they saw me doing? I was just a young – you know, an older teenage, well, maybe early 20s, late teens, early 20s. And, and they asked me, so what do I wanted to do for a living? And I said, well, I want to be a pilot. I want to be a commercial airline pilot. And one of the guys tells me right up front, he says, well, man, you don't want to do that, man. He says, because they're nothing more than bus drivers. And I go, bus drivers? I'm thinking to myself, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to be driving around in buses. You know, I want to be an airline pilot. And for some reason, I was impressionable at that time. And so much so that I just kind of, he just kind of blew the, uh, blew the balloon up for me, you know, just popped the balloon. And I was not feeling uh, very good about that career choice. And that, that I really lay on myself for not being stronger in my convictions and really wanted to chase my dreams. I look back at it now, but, uh, but that did affect me. And uh, so, I, I, like I said, I just dropped that choice and I went to becoming, pursue a firefighting career. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks to how, it, like you said, I think it's a good point of how impressionable you can be as a young, young, you know, young adult in general. Because you're kind of, you're at that point in your life, you're, you're, you're going along with what society tells you to do. You don't really have any experience on your own. Um, and and it's not your fault, but I, I feel as if, because I've heard that story growing up. I know you've told it to me. Um, and I think it's always something that I, I took to heart in my own self to to kind of not, um, I guess, sort of learn in a way to, to, to not let other people affect me in that way. Uh, because, you know, I, 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 I'm, I really strongly believe that everybody has, you know, certain predilections or certain ways of um, kind of living where that that's better suited to their capabilities and what they want and what they feel is going to be fulfilling. And so I've always, I've always taken that to heart to, to not let other people affect me as much as, um, especially in big decisions, like what I want to do for a career or whatever. And, and it's been a process learning that and it's been a process gaining knowledge and experience and kind of understanding myself in a way to, to kind of make sure that I don't, um, that I don't fall victim to people telling me things and and kind of dissuade me from certain things um, that that I feel are right for me. And and it's not to say I'm not taking other people's considerations into account, but I think right. I think that's why I find it so important to be able to entertain ideas without accepting them. It's something that is extremely big for me is that it's like I, I don't I don't have to accept ideas in order for me to play around with them in my head and. And to see whether or not it's something I want to implement within my life. Yeah, and, that, and you know, and that's one of the reasons why I told you that story when you when you were younger is because I didn't want you guys to be both you and and your brother and sister to be impressionable by other people's uh, wants and desires that they think is right for you. You have to make up your own mind, and I I I didn't have that fortitude back then. I I I I didn't have that strong 
why and and to be able to resist other people to put their pressures on me and what they think I should do. And it was it was wrong on my part. And I when I look back on it, I, I wish I didn't do it. I learned my lesson and I wanted to make sure my kids didn't do that. So I'm I'm really glad to hear that you kind of took that to heed. And I hope your brother and sister did as well. Yeah. I mean and I mean it's also like everything and I'm sure you view it this way, it all works out for a reason. I mean yeah. being you know, if you were an airline pilot, you wouldn't be as home as much as you were as a fireman, close to home, always flying, uh, flirting with the airline flight attendants. And <laughs> so, like, I think it, you know, and I, I'm sure you would agree with that. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I I had a romanticized view of what being a pilot was. You know, a lot of it probably being true, a lot of it, most of it probably not. Yeah, I just saw it being a traveling the world is what I wanted to do, like, go all these great places. Um and uh, that that was the big part. And then I, I love flying. Like I said, I was taking flying lessons at the time. How many hours did you get? You know, I had only about 20 hours in when I had to quit for a couple of reasons. Number one, or the main reason is I ran out of money. Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> it was expensive back then, and I wish I would have completed it and stayed with it. Um, again, that's just my fault for not having the strongest why to continue and to, and to pursue my dream. But, you know, I, I was just working part-time. I was working a couple of jobs. Um. Um, I met your mom and, you know, my, my importance of, of, of dating her and a lot of that, my money that I made was funneled towards our relationship. And so it wasn't going towards the, uh, the flying school, but yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I ran out of money doing that. Plus I, when I, when I quit, I was having trouble, uh, learning how to land. I remember the, uh, instructor telling me I had what he, what he called, uh, ground shyness and that I didn't really want to get the plane onto the ground. It was, I was scared of hitting the 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 runway with the wheels. And I'm sure I would have got over that if I had stayed yeah. with it. I just, at that point, uh, those two things converged and I just kind of quit. Yeah. I mean, you only had 20 hours too. So yeah. that much. I, I don't make, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but I have about a thousand in the back of a helicopter. So. <laughs> uh, flying it? Not flying it. <laughs> okay. <but laughs> flying inside of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that, the whole process at that point. Oh, that's good. And then, so what was your transition from there to being a fireman. So you, 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 you decided that the, the being a, a, a flying wasn't going to be your thing. So how did, how did that look uh, transitioning into becoming a fireman? Yeah. So yeah, when at the time um, being a fireman was kind of my plan B. I've, you know, my dad was a firefighter and uh, he worked for LA city fire. And as a kid um, I used to go visit him at the fire stations. Um, used to have dinner at the fire stations. I used to see my dad work and I thought it was really super cool. Um, and that was as a little kid, as I grew up, uh, I wanted to be a pilot at the time still, but it was still kind of cool that I was able to, uh, see my dad work and see the, how, how, how he had to do it and, and, and his career. I remember what really was impressionable upon me. I, I want to say I was in my mid teens, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. My dad took my bro- my brother and I, Raymond took us to his, uh, fire station and this was uh, Fire Station 30 uh, near downtown L.A. And we were able to uh, stay the night, 24 hours with him. Sleep at the fire station, eat with the firemen. Got to visit the, uh, you know, get on the rigs. My dad at that time was an engineer. He was the one that drove the fire engines to the fire. And uh, he's the one that pumped the water to the firemen at the time. So that was just all so cool. And I remember one night, they, they, he, even my dad was kind of disappointed because they get a lot of calls every night. Just so happened that night they got one call during the whole night. 
And that was the only call that we went on. And it was a fire. And uh, I didn't get to see the fire because my dad was uh, uh, what they call a pump engineer, and he was further away from the fire at the time. And we had to stay on the rig. We couldn't get out and go look. But I did see smoke, didn't actually get to see flame. But I got to see my dad work. I got to see him be in the, uh, uh, you know, around the fire hydrant, around the, the panel, the fire engine, be able to pump the water. And I just, and we, I, on the way to the fire, prior to this, just to back up for a second, we got to honk the horns. We got to hit the sirens. And uh, this is at like two in the morning or something like that. So it wasn't a whole lot of traffic. But just being able to do that, and be there was, was, was really, really cool and impressionable. And I always thought to myself, this would be kind of cool to do one day if, if that's something I wanted to do. So I knew it was in the back of my mind to do it. Yeah, and that was far from the, or far from the only fire you ended up going on. So Yes, that's for sure. Um, so then, so now you're, I don't know, mid-20s, right? Um, you, you're, you're, you're seriously considering being a fireman at that point? Yes, I was uh, testing for different fire departments. Probably, this is... Um, early 80s, and I was testing in different fire, fire departments for about four or five years. I went and got a, uh, an AA or an AS degree in fire science. I went to Rio Hondo College. I went through the State Fire Academy, became an emergency medical technician, and I went uh, testing all over uh, the state. Uh, well, not all over the state, most part in Southern California for the most part. All different smaller departments primarily where they were hiring one to two firemen open positions and thousand, a thousand guys were going for that spot. And uh, it was a little disconcerting thinking, well, I'll never be, get a job, you know, two job openings and a thousand guys wanting those spots. Um, but I, 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 at that point, I knew I wasn't going to give up on myself. I was going to go for this and I wasn't going to stop. I kind of grew a backbone a little bit more and became more convinced of what I wanted to do. And so I st- continued to study. I mean, I put a lot of time into the uh, into the State Fire Academy. I became an EMT, which was which was tough. And um, so I decided I was still going to test. I tested for LA County, tested for all the big cities, tested for LA City, which is where I parent, where I ultimately ended up getting a job. And that was back in uh, the end of 1984. Yeah, cool. And then and then you were when did you meet Mom at this point? You. you- you met mom before, right before this? No, well, I met mom early, uh, early eighties, like nineteen eighty or so, nineteen eighty. Okay, eighty one. She would know better. She probably, if she hears this, is going to get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was early eighties. We had, we actually had met uh, when I was working uh, part time and going to school, going to Rio Hondo, going to the State Fire Academy, and I would work at nights. I would work late at night at, at Sears Roebuck, and we worked in Alhambra at their offices. And, um, I would, that's where I met mom, where she, where she was working. So what was it like kind of balancing a new relationship with, uh, trying to find a career for yourself? Yeah. Well, it was kind of, um, it was good actually. I mean, I had a job. Um, I was able to, at that time, you know, uh, early on when I first met mom, I was still trying to be a pilot. So I was able to do that and then I was able to take mom out. So I had money to to foster this relationship. Uh, so, and I was able to buy a car. And uh, so everything, everything worked out good. So yeah, um, ha- having, having that job helped a lot. So you got hired to LA City Fire Department. What, what were your first years? I know you, you know you had some trouble in the beginning. I feel like being a rookie on the fire department is, yeah. is a especially difficult position to be in. Yes, being a rookie, uh, almost in any department, but especially LA city back in those days, 
to say it was tough is an understatement. When I graduated, we went to, I was assigned my first station was at uh, Fire Station uh, 33 in South Central LA. And I went there with two other um, uh, rookies from my from my class. We called it a tower, but basically it's an academy that I, that I went to. And once I graduated from the academy, they sent us off to different fire stations. Mine happened to be in South Central. And it was tough because... For a number of reasons, um, back in those days, uh, uh, the firemen there were very tough on you. And not to get into big details about it, um, you had to know your stuff. And if you didn't know your stuff, you would know about it. And so there was a lot of studying involved. Just graduating from the tower or from the academy wasn't good enough. I mean, your real training really started once you hit the, hit the field. And, you know, people's lives are on, li- on the line and, and, and not only people's lives that, that we go help, but my fellow firefighters, their lives on the line and we all are as, as a team. So you got to know your stuff. And uh, it's a lot of studying. It's a lot of uh, uh, giving uh, what they call drills and doing drills. But at that time, when I first got there, my other classmate that was on another shift uh, quit. He just quit. Oh, really? Yeah. And he was somebody that, you know, that we were told when you go to these stations, you know, you guys as rookies need to, need to depend on each other. There's going to probably be at least one, maybe two other rookies on the other shifts. There's a total of three shifts. There should probably be three new rookies at that station that you can bounce things off of. Well, in this case, there was only two rookies. I was on the B shift and he was, I believe, on the A shift. And when he quit, I didn't have anybody to bounce things off of. Like, you know, how did it go, you know, on your, on your shift? What is it that they, uh, what kind of drills did you do? Um, how was your day? What uh, kind of uh, emergencies did you go on? You know, just some, just to get ideas and feedback and, and, and uh, what, what, what I needed to learn just, just to figure out what was going on. And when he quit, it left me by myself. I had nobody to bounce ideas off of and I knew nobody there. So I was kind of on my own, which made it even tougher for me as a rookie. So, um, not that I'm blaming him for that. It's just that I, I had to take it upon myself to really buckle down and, and study harder and do what I needed to do. Yeah. What, what were some memorable moments you had as a, as a young fireman? Wow. There's a lot of them. Um, but working in South Central um, in those days was an eye opener for me, mainly because it's, it's poor, it was a poorer part of town in LA and there was a lot of crime and a lot of shootings. And I went to a whole lot of shootings almost every day of seeing young people um, being killed or being shot. And, you know, for somebody who's 24 years old, 25 years old at the time, um, even though I was prepared book work wise for these emergencies, it's totally different when you're actually in the field. You know, there's book work and then there's actual field work and they're two different things. And it was, it was difficult to see people die in front of you. It was was tough mentally to see um, young men, children being hurt. It wears on you mentally. And uh, so those are some of the things that I remember from, from those days in my early years. Um, Some of the cool things that I did, I remember is delivering, uh, a couple of babies. I didn't do it on my own, but as a team, uh, 
we delivered babies, uh, one at a gas station and one in a car. And uh, that was always cool to do as well, you know, and seeing a new life come into to the world. Yeah, life goes out, life comes in. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was your relationship with death prior to becoming you know, a fireman and, and seeing this and then all of a sudden having to face the realities of of mortality? Yeah. Well, I didn't have any really experiences of death close to me prior to being on the job. Nothing personal, really, until I was actually on the job. And the first major or trauma as far as death is concerned in the family for me was was seeing my, my brother die. And that was very difficult, very difficult. And I remember at the time kind of denying it that it was going on, but it was... Uh, it's difficult to see him die the way he did, and uh, I never want to see anybody die like that. Um, I'm sorry, you know. He died of, of AIDS, and at that time, this is back in the mid '90s. Uh, there wasn't a lot known about AIDS, or people were scared of it. People didn't know how to handle it, which was understandable at the time. Because there was a lot of rumors, opinion, hearsay about it. There was facts. There was rumors. And we just didn't know how to handle it all. And I know that when he did die, it left a, a hole in my heart. And it even to this day leaves even a bigger hole in the fact that my kids, like you and, and your brother and sister, couldn't, couldn't meet him. Because I know you would absolutely love him. He was, he was the life of the party. Always joking around. Always wanting to do something different doing different things, just being off the wall. <laughs> just a lot of different uh, different things that we did together. Yeah. I mean, when you when you think about somebody that's been in your life or been with you your entire life, and then all of a sudden not, not having them there anymore, especially going through a hard death, how did you take it? What was it? How, 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 how did you support yourself and cope? Well, luckily, I had um, mom and I were married at the time. We got married in '88, and my brother died in '95. My brother was, I believe, he was 35 at the time. And you know, I, I wasn't particularly really close to him because uh, he was off doing a lot of different things. And um, um, although I loved him, and I, he was, a, I knew he was a good person. It just wasn't a real close relationship, although we got along. You know, we did have a good relationship. So it was difficult nonetheless. But luckily, I had mom as a support system. I had my sister, of course, my mom and dad, who I, I to this day, don't know how they get through this or how they get through that or how you get through the loss of a, of a, of a, of a son or a daughter. Um, but they did. And... Uh, we were there for them, and they were there for us. And I think what we got us through was family, being together as family. Um, he died when he lived in San Francisco at the time, and he died as out in hospice care. So he died quietly. He died in, in his own bed. And Marissa, my, my first year sister, she was just a little thing. Um, Mammy, to me, just talking about it makes me kind of nervous, but 
you know, she was just running around his bed and, and just enjoying life and didn't know what was going on. But she, I just remember her dancing around the bed and, and, and being around the family and being happy. And yet at the same time, I'm seeing my brother dying and wasting away, literally wasting away. And, uh, it was a hard dichotomy to digest, but like I said, luckily I, I had your mom there without her, without her love, without her support. Uh, I, I don't think I could handle it. I knew I wouldn't have, and at least not as well as I did. So, yeah, I, I, that truly speaks to the support of a partner within your life. Somebody that you can rely on yep. um, through everything that life may throw yep. at you. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure you could speak to, to how that even closened your relationship to, to mom even more after going through something traumatic like that. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, we, we became closer. I got to see her, who she really was, in such a time of tribulation for me and our family. Um, I don't, you know, we got married in 88, and we weren't even married 10 years when this happened. And I knew she was always a good woman, and I knew God blessed me with her. But it was not until these times that you really see the heart that she has and uh, she's got a heck of a heart and uh, you guys are so lucky to have her as a mom. You guys have no idea. You never will. And that's fine. I can say it all day long, but um, you've been blessed to have such a mom with such a beautiful heart. And uh, that's why I call her my sweetheart all the time because she does. She has a sweet, sweet heart. That's who she is. Yeah. I mean, I love mom, obviously. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, I know you do. We, I, you know, we try. We try our best, but I find it's it's one of those things where you do your best every day to make sure you appreciate those that you love and you tell them. Yeah. But it, it never, it never, it always seems to fall short. You know. <laughs> yeah, it does. As, as much as you care and love yeah. about them, you're trying every day to show them how much you appreciate them and care yeah. for them. Yeah. But it, it always like words just don't don't even come close to how you no. actually feel. No, I, I'm sorry to step, step step over you, but yeah, it's uh, you know I can explain it over and over again, but until you experience it, what true love is like that, um, yeah, I can never I can never explain it to you. Um, it just something has to be experienced. Yeah, I I I, I do understand. Yeah, you know, and and I think that speaks to what what love is um, and why it's so powerful. And you know, and you can experience love in multiple ways. There's different types of love that you feel, love for your friends, love for your family, love for life. Yes. Uh, what, what do you think love is? Well, <laughs> you know, somehow I knew you can ask me that question. <laughs> and uh, you better have a good response. <laughs> you think I think about it before, before I got here, right? I still wish I can give you a great answer, but love to me is life. It's everything. Um, like you said, there's different kinds of love. My love for my mom, for your mom or for my wife is is on a different level than my love for you. That's my son. Um, love for my friends, different kind of love. Um, the love from God is to me is different than any of those other types of love. It's a, it's a it's a true pure love that I don't even understand yet, but but I can still feel because I know he's, he's loved me because of what he's blessed me with. 
He's blessed me with Martha, my wife. He's blessed me with three beautiful children. He's blessed me with great parents. Um, he's blessed me with the life that I have. Um, yeah, I'm not saying it's been easy. It's been a lot of trials, been a lot, a lot of tribulations. We've had a lot of ups and downs in our marriage. We've had ups and downs in life. But in the end, um, it's love that got us through it all. So love is life to me. Love is everything. It's it's what makes the world go around. It's what makes our family go around. Um, and I hope one day it's what makes this world go around. Yeah, I think it is what makes this world go around. I, 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 well, more so than it is with a lot of I mean, We need more of it. Yeah. I mean, of course, I, I do think, um, yeah, I think it's kind of a sticky point um, that, that we kind of often discuss just uh just throughout our lives is, is, um, I, I don't know. I, I've always, and, and uh, I, I would like to see how you, 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 you see yourself, but I always see the, uh, I don't know. I, I describe myself as an eternal optimist. So I'm always, I'm always thinking that I'm always looking on the silver lining and, and I find it almost impossible not to, not to say that there aren't true harsh realities of this world that need to be addressed or that, uh, and, 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 and it's difficult to see everything that does go on in the world that that needs fixing. But um, you know, I I have to believe that we are headed in some direction forward that is beneficial for humanity, one towards a l- larger state of love. Yeah, yeah. And I and I agree with you. Uh, I, I'm an optimist too. I, I see the half the glass half full as well. But unfortunately, I've had the experience of seeing life at its worst for 34 years, um, which I know you really haven't, and your brother and sister haven't, and so maybe I'm jaded to a bit, which I definitely acknowledge. Um, I've seen the worst of humanity, the worst of humanity that uh, affects you, and you wonder how a world can produce such evil that I, uh, there's things that I don't even want to talk about today, the things that I've seen. And so on that level, I kind of temper my positivity with my experiences that I've had in it. And while I still want to believe in positivity and believing the glass half full and believing that moving forward, we're going to be better as a society. It's really tempered with, what I've experienced a lot in reality. I've seen both sides. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, that makes perfect sense. And, and I think it's something I have to remind myself of is, is um, someone like you have seen, who has seen more than they, their fair share of trauma and humanity at its, at its worst. Um, you know, it's just not something that I've experienced to the level that you have. And, and many people haven't, and many people have at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. But I think, you know, it's recognizing that and and finding the love and care for uh, humanity within that is what's is what is what, you know, makes the world um, it's make what's it's what it's what really drives the world forward. Because what other position do we have to drive forward to if not towards a towards a more loving state? Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with you to a certain point, but for people to have love, real true love for each other as a society and as a people, we have to be good people. And that's always been my um, 
driving force with you guys as children. I've always told you guys, you know, I, I don't care what you guys do for a living. You can dig ditches if that's what makes you happy. Um, it doesn't matter what it is as long as it's honest work. Uh, it doesn't matter to me what you do for a living. What matters is your character. What matters is if you're a good person. Are you good on the inside? That's all that matters to me. From that comes your happiness. And I feel, I, I actually believe that we as a society or as people, we aren't, we weren't born good. I don't think we were born as good people. It's something that we have to learn. We come out of the womb selfish, right? We, 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 uh, we want to be fed. We, we want to be changed. We want to be nurtured. We want to be burped. We want to be loved. It's all about me, 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 me. And it's through the learning process as you grow that you become a person of character. And you can become a person of goodness. You can be a good person. But you have to know how to be a good person. You have to know what it is. What are those parameters? What's the guidelines to be a good person and to experience what goodness is? I don't, I don't really believe that we're born good. I believe we're, we're born neutral. And, and, how, and that's where, you know, nurture and nature take over. You know, how you're nurtured and where you come from is part of all that. But, but, but we have to learn to be good. And I think we need to have more goodness in this world. And when we have more goodness, we'll have more love. What do you think the difference is between goodness and love? Well, I, I think they're, um, while they're not mutually exclusive, I think they're, they're different in that, um, that, well, I, you know, I don't know. I, goodness is to me is your character, is your value system. It's how you not only treat yourself, but how you, more importantly, how you treat others. Love will come from that. Love will be a part of that. It's not, do you necessarily need to be good to love? No, I think there's people out there that are not good people that love. But if you really want the best love and the good love and the love of, of, of family and the love of God and the love of of, of of your friends, you need to be a good person. And and that goodness is values. It stems from values. And I think love emanates from that. That's the best explanation yeah. I can give. I reflect often on sort of the metaphor of uh, if life was a race, we're not all born on the same starting line. And no. and that's unfortunately a reality of, you know, the world. I mean, and and, and that's kind of just a fact of life. It's hard to you know, everybody is born within a certain parameter, a certain uh, with 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 certain privileges and and less pri- pri- privileges and different privileges. And I try to, for myself, see uh, people not based on their uh, their actions, but but the circumstances they've come from that have shaped who they are and uh, who they who they've become. And it's not to say that I don't, um, uh, I don't think that people are, uh, there, there isn't blame to be had on certain people um, who, do, who do things that, that may, are more or less uh, aligning to our, our moral and ethical standards. But I think taking into account the, 
the life that somebody was born into is a crucial part of, of empathy for another, another person. Yeah. I, I agree that to a certain point. Um, we're all born in different life situations. Um, I've seen people in poor, in poor, in poor cities and they are good families. You could just tell they're good families. They have a mother and they have a father that love them. I've seen that in South Central and I've seen just the opposite. Even though they may be poor, they, they have, they, they have a value system and they know the difference between right and wrong and they know how to treat others and I've seen people and I've known of people that have come out of bad circumstances, not have the privileges that maybe you or I have had and make great lives for themselves. I judge people, my judgment, and judgment sounds tough, but the way I look at people and how I can define who they are as a person is by their actions. I don't look from where they come from. I look at how they are. What do they do now? What are their actions? Are they good people? Do they treat people with respect? Do they um, help others? Do they give charity? Do they give charity in time or in money? Actions are different than intents. There can be a person that intends that their intentions are good. They want to do good, but their actions don't follow that. And I think actions are more important than intentions are more important than where they came from. And I think that's important to understand that actions are, is what really counts. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I, I agree with you to an extent. I, I see it. I see it that way as well, but you know, who, who do you become if not for the experiences that you've had or who are you to become if, if it's not for the experiences that you've had? Um, and when somebody has been given life that has, really shot them down in so many ways and really been dealt the, the short end of the stick. Uh, I, I find it, I find that that's where, that's where true empathy for humans and non judgment come into play because everybody is so influenced by their environment and who they've, been surrounded by, and I mean, and 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 I, I'm sure you would agree with this. I mean, you've you've we've grown up being told, like you said, it's like, um, you know, show me your friends, and I'll, you'll see who, and I could tell you who you, who you're going to be become in the future. Oh, who, yeah, who you uh, who, I mean, who do you hang out with? Show me your friends. I'll tell you who you are. Yeah, and and I and I, I do like I see it. I see it that way, and you know, it, it doesn't mean, you know, like you said, that it, it's a mix of nature versus nurture. It has both a play. They both yeah. have a play. Yeah, but it's it's not. I think I think they equally have a a a, a large role in the outcome of a of a person. Yeah, I, I, certainly, without a doubt, that they that it has a, a role. But for every person that you that comes from bad circumstances, really bad circumstances, I can show you a person that came out of those. Yeah, it's a choice. Um. Yeah, they've been beaten down, and they've they they. But there's choices you can make. It's like I've always told you, make good choices. Choices are everything. I don't make the best choices all the time either. I try. I think overall, your choices build a life. And I think my choices have built the life where I'm at now. They've been little choices. 
And that's what other people need to know and learn it. Your choices count. Yeah, you've come from bad situations. I, I, you know, I, I didn't have the best. Um, my mom loved me very much. I know she did. But she had, she had some challenges. She had some tough challenges. And I was the recipient of some of her bad choices. Now, I could have wallowed in those, and I did for a while. And I think sometimes it still affects me today. Without getting into too much detail, sometimes mom was, 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 was tough to deal with, my mom. And um, it affected me in a lot of different ways. But I made the choice that I wasn't going to be that. I didn't want to treat people sometimes the way my mom treated me. And, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Mom loved me. She loved all of us. I know she did. And uh, But earlier in life, when I was younger, it was she had some different challenges in her life that I ended up being the recipient of, the consequences of those choices that she made. Were those bad? Yeah. In my life, they were bad. But they're probably not as bad as others. There's others that are worse, without a doubt. There's always somebody that's going to come from worse standards than you. And there's always going to be somebody that came from better life situation and standards than you did. And there's people that have great privileges and they, they squander them and do nothing with them. They do nothing with their money. They do nothing with their time. And they just lead a life of hedonism. So I don't think really all the time it's just where your what your life situation is. It's the choices you make within that life situation yeah, that I, determines where you're going to go. I do. I mean, again, like I, I said, I to push back on that just a little bit, and, 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 and we are on the same page in a lot of ways, but every situation is different. So yeah. it's hard to, it, it, to me, it's, it's not, you cannot compare two, two, two different lives uh, because they're, they're equally uh, unique in, in that sense. Uh, they've dealt, they've been dealt certain situations, certain neurological states and environmental conditions where they've had to deal with exactly what they've had to deal with only because they were born into that situation. And so, yeah, of course there are people born into immense privilege that, that by all objective accounts squander it. And there are people who are born into extremely harsh realities that overcome it and become live fulfilling, successful lives. And there's everything in between there. But it, it, to me, it's just not possible to compare realities because everyone's everyone's situation is so completely dependent on on their yeah. own specific circumstances. Yeah, no doubt that you're right. Everybody's got different circumstances, and everybody's going to have different outcomes. And for those people that, for whatever situation or circumstances they in, and they just can't get out from under, um, you know. I would like to think, and I know we have to a certain extent, you know, government policies and government programs that will help these people to, 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 to get on in life. There's got, there's got to be a safety net for these type of people that, 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 that needs to be more of a safety net that we need for, for, for our population. Of those people that just for whatever reason can't get out of what the situation they're in. But that doesn't mean that you that, – that, a lot of people can't do and make the better choices for themselves, no matter what situation. Their situations may be different, but they can all make the right choices. So I, I think we're on agreement to a certain extent on that. Yeah. I just think, I think maybe where we disagree is like the, 
the difficulty in making the right choices. Like how difficult is it to make right choices when you're born into a situation where it becomes extremely, yeah, extremely hard to find what that even looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It, it, it probably is difficult, more difficult. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, but I, I think where we will definitely agree is, um, the reality of, of being born into a good family. And this is something that my best friend John and I always talk about is how we, we always look back on how privileged we were just to be born into like a loving, um, stable family life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, having good parents, good moms, yes. uh, good dads to, to, to grow up in a situation where we're, you know, we had all the privileges in the world, uh, compared to, to some people born with, not that way of living. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Is there luck involved? I don't know if you want to call it luck, but but yeah, it definitely. You you more more people are built in uh, that choice that or that circumstances you're born in is definitely something that it's an advantage. But it's don't. Um, don't look down on yourself because you have that advantage. Don't feel that those people that are born with a better advantage is someone to look down upon. What did they do with that advantage? How did they act upon that advantage? What did they use it for? Did they use it for good? Did they use it for bad? Not everybody that's born in a good situation, like we just said, is uses it for, for the best. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would agree with that for sure. I, I, I mean, you can call it luck, chance, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're all just born where we were born, and we have to figure it out from there. Um, and and I, I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. Um, yeah, I don't want I don't want you to be ashamed of it. I worked hard. Nobody gave me anything. I had to work for it. You know, I, I didn't become a fireman because it was given to me. I worked my ass off, and I had to fight for it. Um, I went through hell actually in a lot of different ways to be where I'm at, but I worked for it. I, no one gave it to me. And then what I did with it is the best I can do with it to raise a family. I think I did a pretty good job. Not perfect. We didn't do everything right, but you know, overall we did a good job. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but I tried mom and I tried, but uh, my privilege was to you is the fact that I was willing to work hard. And in my case, I was willing to put my life on the line. And I did in different situations. And, and, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't apologize for, for that. Oh yeah, no. And I never, I don't, I don't never want you to. I mean, they, I, it's important to kind of, um, it's important to recognize your own, uh, your own, your own self-worth and, and your ability to, to make, situations uh to to figure out situations something i pride myself on is my ability to just figure it out and i know you know you guys probably recognize that i'm just always leaving and traveling i'm like i don't know where i'm going i'm just gonna move somewhere and figure it out (laughs) not only do i know it on a on a cerebral level if you will but i i'm astounded (laughs) because i i talk to i think to myself and i talked to mom about this i don't i don't think i can do that I don't know. I guess I was built differently. You're built differently. And I, I'm so proud of you. So freaking proud of you, man. I, I could not do that. I could not just go out 
and then see where it takes me. Where does the wind take me? How am I going to make my next dollar? Where am I going to go? And who am I going to see? And how am I going to make this work in my life? I, me, I was different. I, I, I had other plans. I needed to have a, I was more thinking about for me to be. And I wanted to be to C. And how was I going to get there? I had to go through B to get to C. And it was more linear for me. But you, man, I, it's, it's amazing. And I, I'm so proud of you. I worry about you. I, I kind of wonder how you're going to, how you do this at times. Um, but I know you got a good head on your shoulders. Mom and I worry about you, but we don't worry as much as if I, if I knew you didn't make good choices, if, if I didn't know that you worked, that, that you're a smart kid, that you're smart at what you do. Um, if I didn't know that, I would be, I would be more worried. Mom would be more worried. Believe me, we're worried, yeah. <laughs> but we're not as worried. Not as smart as you think. <laughs> yeah, if you so only I'm, knew what I what happened when I like show up a place. I'm like, all right, yeah, I, yeah. in my head, I'm like, all right. Yeah, exactly. But I am proud of you overall. I just, it's 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 great. Thank you. I mean, I always, I think it comes down to a type of confidence where I just, I trust life, and I trust the process. I think it's like a certain, it's a specific type of confidence. I I have confidence in myself. I I do describe myself as a confident person, but it's less. It's not that I know what's going to happen. It's not that I, if I, I have this grand plan in my head of right. everything that I need to get done and everything accomplished. I mean, there's 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 some things that I would you know. It's like I need to find a place to live. But, <laughs> um, I have a roof over my, my head. head. Yeah. But it's the confidence in knowing that it'll all work, work out. out, and that and yeah. that's that's a specific type of confidence to learn. And and it's something. It's like I have I've had a conversation with my partner Dorsey today of where she's always she's worried that. You know, she, 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 I think she tends to over stress certain situations because, um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of complexities and factors to account for. And as someone who's kind of gone through situations where I trust life enough to work it all out and, and to be a good person and to be positive and to just kind of have an optimistic outlook on everything, um, just trust love and just trust to life for whatever it is and mm-hmm. and it always works out in the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. And that's, you know, I I I I pride myself on always maintaining that mindset. Did you get that from us? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder sometimes where you get that from. <laughs> well, I I I think, you know, I it's something I do reflect on often is I my experience in the Marine Corps. I mean, there's a lot I could say about yeah. what I don't like about the military and how I've dealt with that trauma and issue in my life growing up as a young adult in, in the Marine Corps. But I, one thing I have taken out of it besides, you know, great friendships and relationships is, is my ability to, to figure it out in stressful situations. I mean, I've had to deal with high intensity, stressful situations where literally life and death is on the line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you don't remain calm and you don't figure it out because there is no other option for me, it's something that somebody, I was in flight school and, it's always something I always stuck with me. It was this, my train, my instructor, his name was Steph Sergeant Garcia. And he, we were just learning how to fly. For those who don't know, I, was, I used to fly in helicopters in the Marine Corps. I was a door gunner in the back of them. And I was going through flight school. And he was like, the one thing that you need to know about being a crew chief is that no matter what happens, like crew chiefs just figure it out. And it always stuck with me. He always, he just said that and it stuck with me for the rest of the time I was in it. And that's what I imparted on, on the younger people that came in as, as I grew more senior within my time in the military. It's just always imparting that on other people. You just, 
you just figure it out because you're, you're not going to have it all sorted. It's not going to be, it's not going to look how you think it's going to look. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but at the end of the day, there's no other option. You have to figure it out. And that's always stuck with me. And I've, I've, I've translated that into my own life. And, and isn't that life that, that is life in a large nutshell. Um, it's got, you're going to be carrying that no matter what you do. Things are going to come from uh, left field. Like I told you before, it's going to knock you down. But you'll figure it out. You'll get through it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and just figure it out. And you will. And sometimes things aren't as bad as you think they are. You worry about things and they don't come out as bad as you think yeah. they are. Oh, um, I think that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. Really, yeah. it is. Um, and sometimes they do. But, you know, you sometimes know. you think it's going to go great and then it's, <laughs> yeah, then it's just the opposite. Yeah. But not, um, ignorance yeah. is bliss in that in that case. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point you bring up. Um, there's it, it's 90 percent of the time, I'd say, is just it, it. It is not nearly as bad as you think it's going to be. And I that's a lesson that I, I learned and I do think about often because I'm not a person who stresses. I'm really not a person who stresses, um, even though. Um, so I do, and when I do stress, it's productive, and I make it productive. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm glad I have that sort of personality trait. But yeah, me too. Know, I'm far from perfect in a lot of ways, but you know, there are some things where I'm I've, I'm able to cope with stress, um, pretty well, um, just because I know that in my head, it's always worse imagining the like the worst case scenario that's yep. going to happen. And th- and that's a common rule too. I, I read a book once. I think it's called. Um, you read a book. <laughs> I read a couple. Uh, I think it was Dale Carnegie. I could be wrong on the author. It was, it was titled something about how not to worry, or and 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 or don't worrying is not as bad as you think. And anyway, one of the lessons I got from this book was nine times out of ten, your worries are uh, don't pan out the way you think they're going to. They they they're better. It, the outcome is better in a lot of ways, or nothing at all, or not as bad as you thought it was going to come out. Maybe not necessarily better, but not as bad as you thought it was going to come out. Um, and worry is a waste of time. It's a waste of time because you're not doing anything about it. You can't, worrying isn't going to change it. Worrying is going to change anything. You just got to make it and figure it out, like you said. You got to figure it out and let the dice fall with it where it does. Yeah. You know. I mean, worrying, I think, like, um, I think there's productive. Worrying, I wouldn't say, is very productive at all. I would say stress can be productive um, if you, if you, come at it with the right angle channel it differently, um, yeah. yeah i mean but you know it's difficult and i, I do understand like I, I don't think without the experiences that i've i've uh dealt with and, and i'm sure the experiences that you've dealt with like it it just it changes you your it changes your relationships to stress because i mean and i i know you've dealt with it as a paramedic and a fireman having to handle another person's life and your their life is in your hands and and if, if you need to be calm in that situation, you need to be calm. You need to be confident, and you got to work as a team. I mean, it's just not me on that team. And uh, um, there was a point I wanted to make that when you, <laughs> that would escapes me about what you were saying. Uh, anyway, go on. I'll, I'll, it'll probably if you remember it. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it up again. Bring it up. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been through a lot. You've been through a lot, and it changes us, but it makes us better. You know what it else it does? And it just came to me. It makes us, it makes us appreciate more our life. It makes us appreciate and be grateful for the things that we do have. I don't have everything, 
but I've got enough where I am happy and I'm grateful for it. And if you wake up grateful, your day and life will be so much better. I try to do that every day. I'm not great at it. So sometimes I just totally forget. And sometimes I just wake up in a bad mood. But I try to always be grateful. Wake up grateful and I make a list in my head of what I'm grateful for. And when you start doing that, you realize you've got so much more to be grateful for than you realize. And when you are grateful, it makes life better for you and for the others that are around you. And you're happier. And being happy is important. Being happy is important because it's a choice that you make. And others around you, when they see you happy, it reflects on them as well. Um, but being grateful is the key, I think, to life in a lot of ways. I, I, completely, I completely agree. Yeah. Gratitude is something that we, we, if we don't think about and we don't consciously make an effort to, uh, to put at the forefront of our life, I think it's something that can easily slip by. It does. It does. I, and I'm aware of it, and I, I am aware of it, yet it still slips by me at times. And, uh, but then I got to stop and think, God, Dave, look what you have. Look, look what you have. You have a beautiful wife. You have three beautiful children. You have a beautiful home. You, 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 you know, you're, you're not really wanting for much. And it just didn't happen. I had to work for it. But at the same time, I'm grateful for having that opportunity to work. I was grateful to be in the situations as a fireman to help people. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. And what better way to help people and get paid for it, <laughs> you know? And for me, I was grateful to have this and to have that job. And, uh, and the experiences I had on the job made me a better person, made me more empathetic, too makes me more empathetic about what other people are going through because I've seen what it is. I haven't lived in a bubble, and, uh, and I know what it's like out there. So, um, yeah, grateful. Being grateful is, is the key, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I second that point heavily. How do you think people become more grateful? They have to, like we were just saying, I think they have to consciously every day wake up in the morning and read the list of grateful things that they have. Make a list the night before. And, and it could be the smallest things. You know, um, I'm able to get up this morning and breathe. Uh, I have a roof over my head. I may not have much money, but I do have some. Uh, whatever it is, even the smallest things, you begin to understand and, and you're programming your mind as well i believe that 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 you have more than what than what you think you do especially in this country i mean even the poorest people have cell phones have tvs have roofs over their head those that aren't homeless but they most people that are, when i was when i was a, a young fireman in 1984 the homeless problem wasn't as big but even the poor people had cars and had cell phones and had TVs. They didn't live in mansions. They didn't live life grandly, but they had stuff that poor people, true poor people didn't have. And when you can be grateful for that, as small as it is, you're reprogramming your mind, you're reprogramming your heart, and you become a happier person, I, I really believe. Yeah, um, I had two points to that. I, I have... A gratitude journal I, I've done every night. I'm pretty proud of myself on this. I 
I've been doing it for like a year and a half, I think. Have you really? Uh, every day, I haven't missed a day. Well, that's something I should do. I don't do. <laughs> I don't do that. I just think about it. But that's awesome. Yeah. No. So I mean, appreciate that. I mean, it's just it's just my own it's my own thing. I started, and, I, and a lot of people have it. But um, yeah. Did you get that from Marissa at all? No. Because I think she does that. Too. I, I think I was listening to um, or something similar. some podcast where I was like, you should have a gratitude journal. I, like, I've you heard know of what it. I should. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's. I think it's it's so easy because, um, I I it's so easy to find like it's three things I write down every night, and the more you do it, like even if it's dumb things, I've written dumb things on there. <laughs> where I think like last night, even last night, like I really wasn't like what like I didn't do anything today, yeah. And I was like, I'm just glad I slept in. And I think I put like I ate food yesterday. Like I had like <laughs> I had sufficient food. Like yeah. you know, just like basic things. Do you do it every night? Every night. And is it just does it have to be a certain number of things you're grateful uh, well, for? Well, three things. Oh, just three, just three things. things. Just okay. three things, whatever I'm grateful for. Like, you know, some of them, are, every, some, every day is different. So right. I, I tried to, and it almost acts as a, a journal for me because I'll write down specific um, interactions I've had with people or friends or family mm-hmm. that, that meant something to me and I could look back on it. And it's grown pretty big at this point. Um, and, you know, I don't have any plans on stopping it. So, but I think it's, it's, it speaks to the second point that I, I kind of want to mention, which is something that you've always imparted on me, especially as a young kid. And I don't know if you know this, but like you always imparted and it's something that I'm, um, well, I've, I've become immensely interested in his consciousness and how consciousness works. Um, but you've always managed to instill the idea that everything that we do affects our consciousness, our, our whatever happens, it, it affects who we are. And what we become aware of has such an influence on how we act and how we navigate the world. I don't remember putting it in those particular that's terms. How internalized yeah, it. That's how you internalized it. But I think I know what you mean. I think I, what I've always said to you guys is um, choices. I think we talked about it earlier. Just the choices you make will determine your outcome in life. And even no matter how small it is, uh, and it will determine who you are and who you will become. Um, I didn't know if I, I don't think I put it in a consciousness term necessarily, but I, I um, but I, if, 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 if I do remember that, it, that's probably in those terms. Yeah. That I said it. I take it back to this way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I took it more, you know, and this is, you know, this is how I internalized it was everything. And maybe this is, you know, in retrospect, I don't know how I, internalized it as a kid, but, um, it's something I think about every day, mm-hmm. um, is just how influential the world is around us and how, how, if we put good things in, good things come out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, okay. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I have talked to you about that. You, 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 you put in good, good will come out. It's like, uh, what you put into a computer, you put in bad Bad stuff in the computer is going to spit bad stuff out. You put good things into the world, you're going to get good things back. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I might have mentioned something yeah. in those, along those lines. And then, it, then it gets really tricky because then you're like, what is a good thing then? And things, some things are in the gray area of like good or bad. And, you know, it's, it's, it is, uh, I mean, life throws many complexities at you. Yeah. And, and there are things to consider that you don't necessarily know the best option to take. Life, life's tricky sometimes. <laughs> It's tricky a lot, yeah, for sure. I guess to switch gears a bit, what has been your relationship to family? I guess this is something I want to talk to you about is 
And I think I like to ask parents this because, yeah, I'm not a parent. Yeah, when's that going to come? <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> not anytime soon. Uh, we want to be grandparents, you know. Yeah. <laughs> ask, look for Marissa today. She's 30. Yeah. Um, what is it? What What was it like for you becoming a parent? From not from being someone who who basically had to worry about themselves and their partner to to having a uh, different another life in, that yeah. they were in charge of. Well, that's a great question, actually. Uh, in one word, scary, <laughs> excited follows that, happy follows that. Uh, a lot of emotions, but I remember being scared. Now I'm responsible not only for my wife. Now I got to be responsible for this living creature. I remember coming home and mom always makes fun of me about this, but we brought Marissa home, our firstborn, when we lived in uh, Lake Forest in Orange County, California. And I remember coming into our home, carrying her. And up to that point, everybody was taking care of us. The doctors and nurses were taking care of mom, taking care of me. Taking care of the baby, Marissa. What did you do? I, I, I didn't do it. I wanted to watch TV actually while while this was going on. But but watch we, the baseball game. Watch baseball. But we were being taken care of. And now I come home and it's just Martha and I and this kid. And I remember holding her outstretched in my arms as I'm walking in, and I said to Martha, "What, what do I do with her? What, what do we do with her? How do we take care of her? How?" And and I was I said it half jokingly. But at the same point, I was thinking, I gotta, I gotta make more money. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to support her, and uh, it's and it was scary. Well, we're still trying to figure out what to do with her. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was, it was, it, it, so yeah, so that 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 scared me. I, but I was also in love. I was in love with Marissa, and everything about it. I was more in love with mom. I was just in love. I mean, it's 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 it's. My family's important. It's everything. And apparently I didn't learn my lesson because I had two more kids. <laughs> so it ended up being... Yeah, once I once I came out, you were like... After you've been... How's it? No more. <laughs> I don't think I can do this again. But, uh, you know, uh, but I began to understand how this all works and, and I began to get more comfortable with it. And I wasn't as scared as much as I was more uh, excited. More worry came in. Because just about life, and nothing really specific, just, you know, how's this going to pan out? Um, how are we going to take care of her? Uh, are we doing everything right? Are we going to raise her so she's just a great kid and, you know, and, and is a good person? And and I just hope we are good parents. Uh, you know, all these questions come through your mind. So, but in the end, you know, gosh, it's the best thing I could have done was have to have you kids. It's, it's, it's family. It's everything to me. It's everything to mom. Especially me. I know. Yeah. Well, um, well, number one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Marissa. And Brendan. <laughs> and Brendan. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. It's something that, you know, I think as a kid, I'm always, or I was, uh, as a kid, I was always so, so reluctant to even think about, you know, being a father or being a, Somebody that well, took yeah. care of somebody else. I and mean, it's natural. It's like you have. You're like I'm a kid. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And and as you grow older, you know, I, I you know you never know where life is going to lead. I can't say I'm going to have kids, but I also can't say I'm not going to ever. You have don't. Kids. Yeah, you don't and know. You just don't know. You don't know. And you know, when I was 25, I was mar- I was dating mom, but I was uh, 
kids were the farthest thing from my mind, really. Um, I just wanted to, you know, date your mom and woo her, and hopefully she would marry me, try yeah. to convince her to do so. Having kids was the furthest thing from my mind. Until you broke up with her. <laughs> well, that's Which another. mom never... <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I was I was I was the bad I was the bad guy in that one. But anyway, yeah, you just don't think about those things, and I didn't either. And I knew I consciously we didn't have kids for five years because I knew that we wanted to do some travel. We wanted we knew that kids were going to change our lives, and I knew I didn't want to get married until I had a job, a good job. So it panned out. That panned out. I got a good job. We got married, and then we said we're not going to have kids until we do. Do some, we we're going to be selfish because we knew we weren't going to be that selfish when you guys came along. It was all going to be about you. We, at least we had that kind of sense. And that's what we did. So we traveled, did different things, and didn't have to worry about kids. And for about five years, it wasn't until Marissa came along. And then things changed. And then our life focus and our all our focus was on you guys. Um, but that was a conscious decision for us. Yeah. I I think in my head, I believe that Nobody's really prepared to be a parent until it actually happens. And I think it's one <laughs> well, of those things where it's well, like yes, yeah. many people, if not all people, are like are like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you become a parent and you just have to figure it out. It's like it's like this weird thing where no amount of mental preparation is really going to prepare you truly to, to be somebody that's in charge of another human life. Yeah, you, you'll never know till it actually happens to you. It's like the story I always hear about the uh, the professor that, teaches people, showing people what it's like to get hit over the head with a hammer. You know, uh, they can throw charts at you. They can have people come up and explain to you how it feels to get hit over the head or hit over the head with a hammer. And they have videos and, like I said, charts and pie charts and what it feels like. But you will never know what it feels like to get hit overhead with a hammer until you actually get hit over the head with a hammer. And then you realize what it really is. It's different than what you learned. And it's the same with parenthood. It's the same in a lot of things, um, you know, that, and then when it happens, you figure it out. Yeah, you just have to figure it you out. I mean, figure you, have, it out. you have no choice. Yeah, luckily, we had family, but we had a base, too. We had my mom and my dad. We had her parents. They helped us. Yeah. Without that without that support and family again, it would have been more difficult. I'm not saying we couldn't take care of yeah. you, but it just would have been more difficult. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask you a couple more questions here. I know you think often about how, I guess, the, the trajectory of humanity. something. I oh, a simple question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super simple. <laughs> what is the future of humanity? Like? <laughs> well, in a way, that's kind of what I'm asking. This is kind of a question that I, I, I that has kind of stuck with me uh, once, I, once I heard it and, and I, I've done my best to reflect on it as often as I can because, like I kind of uh, talked about in the beginning, we're all, we're all on some sort of path forward. We're all... As a, as a collective species, as a collective earth, uh, we're, all, we're all moving towards some sort of state and the environment is always changing and it's always, the landscape of life is always evolving in some direction. And so when we, when we look at the long arc of, of human history and start to, to look at the previously held ideologies that, that we've had in the past, what are the ways in which you think we're acting now that could be viewed as uh, radically wrong from the perspective of future generations. You know, I, I think kind of like the, the idea of, uh, and this is something that I always, I, we've, we've talked about in the past is the, the view of animal rights and our views on, on how animals are treated uh, within, within society. 
Yeah, I know we've had a couple of discussions on that. And and if it's from the perspective of how future generations are going to judge us on this, you know, that's the thing about being judged or uh, by future generations. They don't understand what is the situation was at that point in, in our lives. I mean, it's like people judging what our forefathers did back in the day. Did they make wrong choices? Yes. But at the same time, they didn't know what the culture was like at the time. And for us to view our values on them from today's perspective, I think is is wrong. We have to view it from a different lens, from a different perspective. So with that being said, with animal rights, I the way I think about it today is that I, I grew up at a time when you ate beef, you ate chicken, you ate fish. It wasn't thought about and wasn't part of a moral problem for me. Now, it's not necessarily a moral problem, but it is something that it's more aware of and that I'm more conscious of. I know we've talked about it, and, and, and I think that, yeah, we, we need to treat our, our animals, all of them, as a gift from God. They are ours to enjoy, and they, have, they, they need to be taken care of. We need to take care of them. We need to use them as God intended, whatever that was or is. But we, we need to be more compassionate to, towards animals. But to that end, I, I don't know if the future generation is really going to judge us that harshly on it. Maybe they will. I don't know. All I know is that it is something that is more that I am more aware of, only because I came from a time that it wasn't anything that was a big issue. Yeah. You know, and that's just because that's why I grew up. It's it's a time in my in my lifestyle and time and as as growing up it didn't 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 affect me. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people judging me because I of the way I acted when I was, you know, fifteen or twenty years old. Yeah, well, I mean, but, I I know. do understand it. I I think that is a big point to kind of linger on a bit is is the the impossibility of moral retrospect. Like you can't you don't know what it's like to be in the time with the society and the moral and ethical standards back a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, a thousand years ago. And, and it's sort of, and to be judged harshly for it. Yeah. I mean, and I understand that these things from our perspective are viewed as incredibly morally abhorrent, but at the same time, um, I mean, there are things that, you know, there, there are things that are hard to, it's difficult to kind of justify these things uh, when we look at it from the perspective we are at now. But we just, we have, it, there's the impossibility of knowing what it's like to be a person 500 years ago who's, who's been dealt the situation they're in, dealing with the, the, other, the, the, the other moral questions of their time. And it's like, you have to kind of pick and choose what moral and ethical uh, dilemmas that you're going to put time and effort into addressing. Yeah. And, yes. And uh, on the on the thing on, on animal rights, as you put it, I I, I think um, I'm more aware of it than I ever was when I was in my 20s or 30s, or even 40s for that matter. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. But does that mean that I'm going to that I think that people that eat meat are morally wrong? No. I don't. Um, do I think someone that uh, 
kills animals just for the pleasure of it is wrong? You bet, 100%. If you treat animals cruelly, you're going to treat people cruelly. But with that being said, I, 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 can't, I can't judge people that eat meat or wear leather belts as being morally wrong. Yeah. It's not a moral issue for me, really. Yeah. And I, I understand that perspective. I do. Um, I, I think it's not a, you know, I think there are two separate questions that often get intermingled when we talk about animal rights. Um, one is whether or not it's ethically okay to consume animals for, you know, human well-being versus the the way that animals are being treated in factory farms and our 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 complete disregard for it in so many ways i mean when when we talk about like where we're getting not knowing and and being complicit in in factory farming and its um and its way that it it, it does enter our our plate how it enters our plate without knowing knowing how bad it is knowing yeah. what actually goes on nobody is nobody is comp- so naive you know nobody is so naive in especially like in the US and western countries where where we don't know how bad it is how bad factory farming is for animals and yet we we remain complicit in so many ways of of allowing it to happen by supporting companies that that continue to 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 do it so is let me ask you this then if if animals were treated more humanely and they weren't in cages or treated inhumanely and they were treated better and they were fed better and they fit all the criteria that was morally correct but we still ate meat we still ate that cow is that is that still good yeah well i think that's uh, that's exactly Exactly the my my original point is that it those two are those that is a question that is separate from understanding or or not supporting where our meat comes from and where our animal products come from in the first place or not supporting a company that engages in morally wrong treatment of animals versus the consumption of meat generally. I think those are two separate questions. And and I think it, it is a good question to ask because um, evolutionarily, I mean, humans have evolved to eat meat and to eat animal products in, in some sort of way. However, it's not that question that I, it is that question for some people, but for me, and, and it's still a question that I do wrestle with just philosoph- philosophically and morally, but I think the question of why we still remain complicit in, why so many people still remain complicit in, in consuming animals that we know are coming from an unethical source. Yeah. Um, there should be no reason, especially in this day and age, not to be more aware of it for sure. I mean, just go on YouTube or find a documentary on it and you'll find it. And yeah, they, there's got to think, be some changes in how we treat our animals. Like I said, how you treat animals shows a lot about who you are and who we are, not only personally, but as a, as a society. So, yeah, that needs to, a lot of that needs to change. But, and if I understand you correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not understanding you, that still doesn't mean that someone who eats meat is wrong, is morally wrong, I think right? It, I think, you, it, I think it's a that? separate question. I okay. think it's a separate question. I think that needs, 
you know, I think that needs to be answered independently of this question. And, and I think, you know, it might depend on the person. I'm not, I, I, it's still something that I still struggle with morally and philosophically to kind of understand like, well, the, the, the ethical implications of eating meat, even if it, like you said, you know, you get it from a place that was raised, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a happy cow from birth up until death. And, you know, the, the, the worst part of that life was, was, you know, having to get slaughtered. But I mean, it's, it's, um, it is something that in my head, it's like, well, we're not at that point. We're not even close to being at that point. Uh, the mo- point being what? I'm sorry. For all of a uh, most or, or all or even most of the, the U.S. or, you know, developed countries to be at the point where most of our meat, if not all of our meat, comes from ethically sourced companies that have raised, were raised in, you know, regenerative farms and, and farms that, that had animal rights at the number one priority of... So you would be, just to make sure you would be more comfortable with farms and companies that treated their animals more ethically and better, and yet at the same time, you wouldn't have a moral problem with someone eating that meat, that ethically raised well, meat. I, well, I mean, um, it's not necessarily something I, like I said, I think it's a, it's a different question that I f- haven't fully developed, developed yet in yeah. my understanding of whether or not that is a good thing or a right thing. I mean, I don't eat meat because right now I, I, I don't, I don't eat meat because I cannot, I'd rather not eat it while I'm still debating in my head, whether or not it's okay than to eat meat and realize that I shouldn't be doing this. Um, so it is something, I mean, I think it's like, like I said, it's, it is, it is, it's kind of a situation where it's, um, it's a tricky, it's kind of a tricky moral question because I mean, you look at nature and every, everything is consuming everything. I mean, you're even, even eating plants is a consumption of some form of life. You know, plants grow, they live and, and they die just like every other thing else in the life cycle of earth. And so, it's just it seems as if the universe is constantly in a cycle of of birth and consumption and 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 death and i mean regardless of how you want to look at it that's that's kind of the way the universe seems to be operating well it's been operating that way <laughs> way before our times yeah you know yeah. and and i think i understand you st- you still have a struggle with it to a certain extent and you haven't fully developed the the thought process for you on on this but just suffice it to say, for me, like I said, it's not a biggest moral problem, I think, because I think there's so many other serious moral issues out there that my attention is on. Not to say that this is not important, but on the gradation scale, it's low versus so many other moral issues that we have. And, but I think it's important. I, I, I do. I, I'm more aware of how animals are treated because I don't want to see people, you know, hurting dogs and throwing cats around and and that that to me is morally reprehensible I, and and it's and, and that person that can do something to that kind of an animal or to any kind of animal will do that to a person so we're doing this on a daily basis with with these farms and yeah things have to change in that regard i agree but i can't carry it over to the fact that then therefore you shouldn't eat meat. Yeah, well, I guess like I said, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a separate question because yeah, right, no, I know because it's not whether or not we should eat meat or not. It's it's how do how does so much of humanity remain complicit and 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 disregarding the companies that we do support financially by eating there, yet knowing how bad of an industry and how morally wrong industries. Well, remain. maybe I'm thinking maybe they don't know. Maybe I'm giving them more credit than than they have. I, maybe they just 
don't really know or seen how bad it is. I have. I've seen it on documentaries. I mean, it's not hard to figure it out. You can get on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. You can get on a, find a, a documentary on it, but maybe our society hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's and I think that's why for me, and I think for so many other people, it is it is culturally, it's 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 not only culturally relevant to talk about. It's it, it's it's necessary because you know we, we are we are we are hurting conscious mm-hmm. creatures mm-hmm. Um, that that for our consumption and so um you know it's 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 akin to it's a it's akin to you know it's not human slavery but it's 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 slavery of a of a different type it's not consumption we're talking about it's how we are treating the animal and that's why i think why it's so relevant is because it's a question i haven't really thought out either or fully developed um so because it's so low on my totem yeah, pole of what yeah. of what is bad about this country yeah. that that's not something i i, I put a lot of thought into yeah. so i wish i had a better a better answer for you. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. And, and that's why I bring it up is because nothing gets, you know, we don't, we don't evolve as a species if questions of this nature don't get brought up. And so, I no, mean, yeah, it's good to talk about sure. because, because they, they, you know, it's, it's, it's necessary to talk just like about how uh, moral situations that history has dealt with where it, it, it came to a boiling point where it just was unacceptable uh, at a certain time period and if if it wasn't for people bringing up difficult questions and and no of course and, and talking and making it a morally and societally relevant topic to talk about then nothing would get changed no and i'm glad we're talking about it it does need to be talked about i agree it needs to need we need to start somewhere yeah um cool all right last question it's not about anything heavy oh thank okay. god <laughs> i'm i've got a headache already i feel like <laughs> i feel like every time i'm doing this I'm like, last question, don't worry, it's not about <laughs> death. Um, uh, music. I love I, music. I, I'm making a playlist for Spotify. I'm trying to get listeners a good good music recommendation. So what, and this doesn't have to be your favorite song, it doesn't have to be your favorite anything, um, but what are, you, what, what, what are you most excited about listening to right now? What would you recommend to, to somebody listening to this that, that wants to be schooled up in some in some in some music of your taste well you know what's funny I um, I kind of been thinking a little bit about that because my my music uh, taste has changed a bit I, you know I, I grew up in an area of classic rock 70s and 80s music um, love classic rock and as you know my favorite band is the Eagles I love that classic country rock sound but uh, you know um, what I've been really excited about in music lately is some of these new artists that are coming up in that same vein. There's a, a channel on Sirius XM called The Spectrum that I like to listen to. It's a, it's a channel that gives homage not only to the old classic rock music of the 70s and 80s, but new up-and-coming bands that are coming up in that same genre. And it's not necessarily classic rock, but they've got that same vibe. Different up-to-date, more modern. Um, like a band that I really like is The, the Killers. Um, they've got some great music. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, I, Killers are and great. I would never have known about them without Spectrum. Yeah, well, you know what? I will push back on that because I know you knew them growing up. The Killers? I, the Killers. You want to know why? No. Um, because The Killers, I remember Marissa had the album. Or my sister Marissa, she had the album and 
and we played it. You'd hear it on the radio. And I remember specifically one day you were like, you're like, I forgot what song it was exactly um, from the killers, but it was one of their, one of their main songs. Yeah. And, and you, you said, well, I heard one of these killer songs and it was the stupidest lyrics I've ever heard. <laughs> and I, I remember, I, I, I remember being in the car. It was, and how like, old were you? I, we were still, we were living in Orange County. Like, okay. but, like, but I, I remember specifically, uh, man, I don't, I don't remember that. Um, if it, if you if you were to put me in a corner to to say that I I, I would say you're wrong because I, I I've been saying you are I certainly don't remember because because to me the killers and they may have been around a long time but I'm just becoming aware of them in the last two or three years that I because maybe it's the music has changed I don't know but I like a lot of their music um, but okay I'll I'll go with you on no, that one I, but there's a lot of other bands on that that I've uh, on that channel that I've heard. Uh, I wish I could remember them all offhand because I would have had them in my head before I'd had this yeah. interview. But if you listen to the spectrum, I like a lot of the new music. Yeah. They, they interchange. They interchange the '70s and '80s music with the new up and coming bands. Um, uh, what's the What's the other guy I like? Is uh, oh my gosh, I can't. I'm drawing a blank. But if you have uh, Sirius XM. Listen to the spectrum. Everyone has Spotify, Dad. All the young oh. kids have Spotify. They're not listening. They're not paying serious. Well, I don't know. Then what would you qualify it as on 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 Spotify? Well, music. I mean, what, what, it would be. It would be. What group would it come? It would under? be alternative. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I mean, it would be like a two thousand rock anthem playlist, um, mm-hmm. something there. But what song do you recommend by the Killers? It's the one of those ones I really like a lot is. Um, Mr. Brightside. No, it's one me. of their latest ones where they talk about. Oh, really? One of their latest uh, ones. Uh, this town. Is it this town? No. Uh, where they this, the lyrics are about uh, growing up in a small town. Um, where uh, quiet town. Quiet town. Yeah, quiet town. Quiet town. Excellent song. If you listen to the lyrics. Quiet town by the Killers. By the Killers. All right, All right. that's good. I love the Killers. Killers are on my. They're on my bucket list of people, of bands to see. I, I'd see them. I'd yeah, see I, I Mercer's. And I'm 62 them. years old. So. Yeah, go see them. <laughs> killers are great. The kill, everybody loves the Killers. Okay. Mr. Brightside has like. Mr. Brightside is a good song. Yes. Yeah, I like, do know that song. Yeah. I don't know their whole albums or their, their whole playlist, yeah. but but uh, the last few songs I've heard lately in the past two or three years. The Killers. The well, killers. we're glad to hear it because the Killers. We, everybody loves the Killers. I don't know anybody that doesn't like the kill, at least one song by the Killers. Okay, there you go. Then I'm not. I'm in the. I'm in the know. It's links. Links are in the description for the Killers. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Dad. I love you. I appreciate you being on and talking about talking about some some aspects of existence. Well, thank you, son. I really, really appreciated this and it's been fun. It's been uh, thought provoking without, for, to say the least. And, and I'm so proud of you and I love you more than you would ever know. 